a really sweet song. Thank you for that. Um, I like that. Shout out to you, Daniel Justice, and um, folks who are here from the coast back into the, the valley of East Tennessee where it's nice and safe. We don't have a lot of earthquakes. We don't have a lot of hurricanes. We're just good folk. Um, we are in the second week of a series uh, called Sacred Selfies. And uh, it's like this phenomenon just really in the last few years. And you think about that, and I could look like some of you guys who think, I don't, I don't know what a selfie is. And you think, well, actually, it's even in your, I could even look this direction or right here because it's not like it's that old a thing. But do you remember yearbook pictures and school book pictures and pictures where, you know, the, the guy would come in? I don't know if they still do this. And they put up the fake, yeah, like vines or Hawaii or something behind you and take your picture and it's out there. And the guy's in a hurry because he's got to get to another school. So if he takes a bad picture, too, too, <laughs> and so you, you took him home to your mom and this is your school picture and you're looking like that and your collar's turned, you know, and it's like too bad. Well, we don't have to worry about that so much anymore because when you get ready to post your picture, whether it's, you know, to Instagram or on your Facebook, you can take 20 shots until you get it kind of just the way you want it to look. And the funny thing about that is, is that you kind of, you, you sort of want it to look spontaneous. Like, oh, you just caught my picture. I think, yeah, you took 20 of those to get that look, you know. But that's what we do because we want to project a certain thing, you know, about ourselves or a certain look uh, that we have. And we have the luxury of being able um, and to do that with our phones, we can kind of keep going till you get it as close as you can or until you just give up and go, you know what, that's as good as it's going to get. Let's just put her, put her out there. Uh, these selfies, because we want people to see that side of us. Have you ever had somebody to FaceTime you or Skype you and you weren't ready for it, you know, and you just think, no, 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 don't look, don't look, and because you, you kind of, it's not the self you wanted to project. I think we do that, not just in that way, although that's a great, you know, metaphor for how we project ourselves uh, to, to the world and the people, you know, the people around us. And not only that, but even sometimes the way we project ourselves to ourselves, the stories we tell ourselves are not always who we really are. And that's what we're going to talk about uh, today, because as we continue to grow into uh, this image of, and this idea, and this identity of what it means to be in Jesus, to be in Christ, we begin to discover some things as those layers of self and flesh are pulled back uh, that maybe you think, I didn't really want to face up to that or see that or know that, and I absolutely, certainly don't want anybody else to see that about me. But what we're going to discover today is that if we're going to be invested in one another's lives, and if we're going to make a difference, there is going to be a time when you're going to have to lean a lot further into vulnerability and be a lot more transparent in some ways that maybe you're uncomfortable with at first, but you've got to at least start with the Lord and with yourself. There's a tremendous amount of healing that can take place there. And I know some of you, many, probably all of us, are in some ways wounded 
And out of those places of hurt and shame come all kinds of behavior and cover-ups and, you know, all of this junk that we try to keep buried. And at the same time we're doing that, because we do have this heart for the Lord, Jesus is living, you know, residing in many of us. We want to make a difference in other people's lives. It's not always like one or the other, you know, like these, these big, you know, big jumps. No, it's kind of this mixture of who we are. And there is within us, just built and wired in us, if you're a follower of Jesus, you will know that the further you go along, that you begin to be interested not just in yourself, you know, in your own stuff, but you start taking notice of other people around you, and you're interested in the welfare of others. And there is this, this place in us that wants to be invested, particularly when we see brothers and sisters in Christ who are struggling. And maybe it's a struggle you identify with. You know, maybe it's an addiction that you've overcome or maybe it's a problem you had or something that happened to you and you think, oh, me too. And your heart begins to lean into that situation and you want to make a difference. But as you've done that, have you ever come to this place where you think, wow, I just don't seem to be real effective or fruitful or I'm just not able to, to, to really get a foothold or any traction in my ministry? Well, today we're going to talk about that and kind of look at one of the reasons why that happens, because being uh, a servant or being, you know, helpful to other people allows us this unique opportunity that maybe you didn't see coming to keep an accurate view of who we are in sight and to be able to keep ourselves in check. Now, there's a passage we're going to begin with. We're going to look at two scriptures today, and the first is in Galatians chapter 6. And if you want to take a minute to find that, uh, when I first started going to church, I was uh, a teenager, I guess. I was later high school, kind of getting out of high school. And somebody taught me this little thing about finding books in the New Testament. And they said, think of this, General Electric Power Company. Galatians, Ephesians, you know, it's, it kind of, now it's going to stick with you. And some of you are thinking, what is General Electric Power Company? I don't even, is that even a thing anymore? I don't know. Come up with your own system. But um, in Galatians, uh, there's this scripture. In this particular passage, Paul begins with this rule uh, of, of how to approach a brother or sister who is having difficulty struggling in an area. Maybe it's sin. Uh, maybe it's uh, they're being victimized in some way. Whatever it is, but particularly if they have fallen, he says, we, we do that. We come to, to that moment, into that situation with gentleness, knowing that we're prone to be in the same position. Let's read this together. It's in uh, Galatians chapter 6. I'm going to read the first five verses. Brothers, and brothers is for everybody, okay? Ladies, you're brothers. Um, it's kind of a generic mankind kind of term. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, and you are. If Christ is in you, you're, you're spiritual. He had, that's another part of our identification uh, that maybe you didn't realize, but you are spiritual. 
you should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then this reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Um, As followers of Jesus, as Christians, we have to remember that uh, even the action, the intent to bear one another's burdens, is not only this heart cry that grows as you mature in Christ and as you begin to understand your new identity and you think, wow, my life isn't, I used to just only care about myself. And there was a time when I thought, why would I ever give money away when I could use that for me? But then something begins to emerge and this crazy thing begins to happen. You think, I want to be a giver, not just a taker. I don't want to just consume and and spend on myself. There's something in me that comes up that thinks, no, I want to give, I want to give away. Isn't that, you know, that's just like counterintuitive to who you used to be. And that plays out and it spins in all kinds of different directions. But we become different people as we understand who we are in Christ. And Paul says that as we do that, we have to remember that even though that's a calling from in us and it's a command in Scripture, we see we're even told to do that because he knows as you do this, just obediently, that your emotions will catch up to it. You know, even if you think, ah, I don't really feel like doing that, I don't want to give, or I don't want to go, I don't want to try to make a difference, uh, you just begin doing it obedient. It's kind of like working out, or I was talking to a friend this morning, we were talking about how if you haven't done anything in a long time, you know, you've just been sitting on the couch, you're just watching Netflix and ball games, and and maybe your doctor or something, and you think, you know, I need to get up, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start maybe small. I'm just going to like go out to the mailbox every day. Let's begin there. And then maybe I will park, um, you know, one row away or, you know, but you begin to try to, you know, step it up a little and get off the couch and, and try to move. And at first it's hard, right? You ever try to do that? And the first week you think, this is hard. I don't want to do this anymore. It hurts. And, and we're just kind of real whiny about that. And then the second week you feel a little better. And third week and fourth week. And, and you get a little faster. And you start going a little further. And, and you think, wow, I'm gaining momentum. And I'm feeling better. And not, not only do I not dread it. And then I move to this place where I just kind of do it. But then something miraculous begins to happen. Where you actually start looking forward to it. You think, wow, I kind of like the way that, that that makes me feel. You know, that same kind of thing that we understand physically really happens to us spiritually as well. As you begin to move in deeper into obedience with Jesus and you let go of some of that stuff that's really just weighing you down and holding you back and keeping you out of shape spiritually, something beautiful begins to happen in your heart and in your spirit where you think, wow, I think I'm going to sign up to go on that mission trip. There's something in me that wants to go, that wants to be a part, that wants to pray over you, wants to uh, do these things. So Paul said, as we're doing that, and that, that process is beginning to unfold, and we bear the burdens of someone else, we have to remember that it is a vulnerable position. It's a vulnerable 
place to be in because you're putting yourself out there. It's you now that's involved. And if any of you have ever tried to do that, whether it's with your family or a roommate or a friend, or it gets messy, doesn't it? You know, it, it doesn't fit neatly into like a, a television or a movie format or a book where you read the beginning and end and think, oh, everything worked out, and you just kind of close it and you move to the next chapter, the next volume. It just, it just doesn't happen like that sometimes. So it's a, it's a vulnerable thing. And so Paul suggests that we test our actions in verse 4 to keep from doing what we do, which is the comparison thing. You know, we, all, we start comparing ourselves to each other. And you either compare yourself this way. I was talking to somebody the other day, and they said, I think I'm really worthy uh, to go to heaven. I go, well, that's really interesting. What makes it because, I said, well, why, just, you know, why do you think that? And they said, well, because I'm really pretty good. I said, how good are you? They <laughs> said, well, I don't know, but I'm pretty good. I said, I'm not doing this thing and this thing. You see, what they were doing is comparing themselves this way. And then other people compare themselves, and, and you'll say, I'll never be good enough. I'll just never get there. I'm just me. I'm just not. And I'm just, and you, because you're comparing yourself the other way. Where does that stop? How good is good enough and how bad is bad enough? I, that's a game you never win. You, you never win. And Paul says, stop it. Just stop comparing yourselves to each other. Because when you do that and you're constantly judging yourself and you're constantly judging somebody else, uh, you're never going to get it right. And you're going to end up with this distorted standard for you. You know, you ever gotten pulled over for speeding? Officer, I was just going five miles over the speed limit. I mean, he by all rights could say, yep, you were going five miles over the speed limit. You, yeah, it was just five miles over the speed limit. You know, some people go 20 miles or 30 miles over. I'm not as bad as those people. And then we begin to rationalize. You see, well, let me tell you my story. Let me tell you what was happening. You see, I'm late. I've got to pick my child up. And they're standing out on the sidewalk. And, and you know, and I've got to get there. And so, you know, and we start justifying our behavior. And I know that's maybe kind of silly. And you think, well, that is kind of fair. But you see how that standard of goodness fluctuates? And, it, and there's this big area between like righteousness and unrighteousness that we think, well, for me, I need some flexibility. I need, I need you to cut me some slack because it's me. But we don't always do that with other people. We're constantly judging, and we end up with this distorted view. So we need to pause and just take an objective look at our own lives and our own heart, our own thoughts, and who we are. And that's really difficult because we're very lenient with ourselves and sometimes really harsh with other people. Right? So in this text, there's this word caught, the one who is caught uh, in a transgression. You ever been caught? Uh, I have been caught. You know, you're caught doing something you shouldn't be doing and, you know, and all of a sudden you look up and you go, oh, okay, well, uh, you know. That's kind of what this word implies. It literally means to be taken by surprise, to be caught off guard, to be, you know, to, you weren't ready, you didn't plan on this. The word transgression 
actually means to slip or to fall. So you're caught in a fall. I cleaned out our pantry the other day. We've got these moths, and I'm on a mission. It is war. And I lose some of the battles, but I'm winning the war, and I'm cleaning out all these cabinets. I don't know where they come from. I don't know where they go. But the weirdest thing is they only come out like in one or twos. They don't come out like an army of moths. We defy you, you know, and just, no, they, they just sit, Larry, you go. And then they send one out, and uh, you know, we'll kill that one. And it's like, he didn't make it back. Billy, it's your turn, you know, and then the next moth comes out. So every day I kill one and two, and I think eventually they got to get down to where it's over. But, you know, we just, keep, we just keep doing that. Well, when I'm cleaning out the pantry, I get rid of a lot of stuff. And I, there, there were these, uh, what do you call it? Do you put on the table? <laughs> Sounds like uh, two words. Placemat, placemats, right? <laughs> okay, okay. It's a placemat. I put them in the kitchen floor, and we have a wooden floor, like just very similar to this, actually, on the floor. Anyway, I put those placemats there, and when I'm doing some other things, then I, I stepped on one of those. Yeah, and I just go, whoa, like that. And this thing just slipped right out from under me. And uh, with my cat-like reflexes and dexterity and flexibility, I was able to catch myself before a disaster. But, you know, and then, you know, so I, I left it there, and I just thought, oh, man, i got to be careful. Next day, no kidding, true story, stepped on the exact same thing happened again. And, and, and I, after three, I, this is true, three days of stepping on that and slipping, I thought, I think I might move the placemat somewhere else. You know, so I put them up. Because I think, ah, how many times does it take to learn? How many times have you slipped on the same transgression? You see, most of us don't say, well, you know, last Monday I did this sin, but then Tuesday did a different sin, and then Wednesday I thought of another one, and Thursday. And so every day I just do a different sin. Now, usually most of us, we do the same things over and over, don't we? And how does that work? You can get gratification, but never satisfaction. Gratification is different than satisfaction. So you keep stepping and slipping. And that's exactly the language that Paul's using. He says you're taken by surprise woo, because you slip, whether it's on the ice or a placemat or whatever it is, and, and you, you fall. Uh, and, and that's the, the picture here. You don't set out to fail today. You didn't wake up thinking, oh, let's see, what sin? It's not in your to-do list, right? It, it, it's, it's not, you don't say, Siri, remind me this afternoon <laughs> to, you know, rob a liquor store or whatever it is, your favorite sin. <laughs> how, many, how many liquor store robberies? Okay, we don't, that's not a real prevalent one here at Calvary, so... If you're checking us out and you own a package store, good news. We're not going to rob you. Okay, I'm kind of, I'm kind of getting off point. Um, it's not our intention to get tripped. Oh, I didn't see that. You know, and when you're tired, have you ever been hiking and you've gone up maybe to Rainbow Falls or to Clifftop, you know, to, to wherever it is you've gone, and you felt really good, but by the time you come, you're coming back down, you're tired? And if it's raining and it's kind of slippery and you hit those roots and rocks and you stumble so much, you don't mean to, but you're tired. Listen, because you're susceptible, you're more vulnerable in some situations. You need to be really careful when you're tired, when you're angry, 
when you're hurt, when you're hungry. You know, all these things that happen to us externally. When you've gotten your heart broken or you've been mistreated, you're, you're more likely to slip and to fall. So he says, when, when that accidentally happens, Paul says, um, we see that in somebody else's life. We didn't mean to fall. We didn't mean to get addicted. Uh, but it happens sometimes. So Paul says, when you see that, we're to restore one another. And I love that word because literally what it means is to mend, to repair, to bring healing to, or to provide supply, to equip someone else. Because that's what grace does. That's what love does. That's what Jesus does. Do you remember the story in John chapter 8 where Jesus has come back? I think it's Capernaum. He's at the temple and he's teaching. And all of a sudden there's this noise and this, this ruckus. And he looks up and this, this crowd, this little mini mob is coming at him. And they've got this young girl in their clutches. And she is scared to death. She's so frightened. And, and these tears are running down her face. And she's a mess. And, and they bring her and they just throw her down in front of Jesus. And she is shaking and sobbing, and they're just standing there, and they're going, here's the deal. We caught her. And by the way, that verb, caught, is the same word that Paul just used. You know, for, the, for someone who's caught in a transgression. Well, here's the girl who was caught in a transgression. They said, we caught her in the act of adultery. Can you imagine how humiliating and embarrassing that would be? So they throw her down. She's just mortified and doesn't know what's going to happen. She knows the law, and she knows what could happen. And they said, you know, the law says we should stone her to death. And I'm thinking, whoa, she's caught in adultery, and you're going to kill her with stones? Yeah. You think that's a little over the top? Nope. That's the, what the law says. I think, okay. So they're ready, and uh, they're just in this play. And they said, Jesus, what do you think we ought to do? So he has this great answer to them. And some of you, even if you're not a regular church attender or a Bible reader, you know this is one of Jesus' best lines, better than Clint Eastwood, better than anybody, you know, could, could say back. Uh, you know, okay, let's do it. So the, someone without a sin, somebody that doesn't slip and fall, you throw the first rock. And everybody drops their rocks thinking, oh, shoot, you know, that's, uh, I'm not going to be able to do this. And because everybody knows each other in this village, and they just disappear. So Jesus is looking down, you know, and he, and he looks up to the girl, and he says, um, where are your accusers? Is there no one here to condemn you? And they look around, and, and she says, no, sir, they're, they're gone. Jesus says, well, then neither do I condemn you. Me neither. I'm not going to condemn you. The one person on the scene, the one person on site who had the authority and the ability and the right to condemn her chooses not to. The only person there who could get all judgy about this was Jesus. 
And he said, no. I don't condemn you. Now listen, you go. But don't keep doing this. Don't sin anymore. Do you see how he's extending? He's restoring her. And what Paul is saying is, you remember times like that where Jesus did that for you? You do that for others. The world doesn't need another judge. The world needs grace and love and somebody who will come in and say, Oh, girl, you really messed up. But I'm going to help you. Here's 50 bucks. Listen, you come over to my house. Here's a tank of gas. Here's some food. Here's, listen, I'm going to give you a ride to the doctor. I'm, whatever it is, you begin to mend and repair and supply and bring that person to life again. That's what we do. And that's what, that's what Paul is saying. He goes, there's this tendency for us to become real haughty. And self-righteous when we see a brother or sister struggling with something. Paul says, don't act like that. Bear one another's burdens. It allows compassion and grace and perspective to begin to fuel our understanding of their issues and even our own hearts. What if, and this happened to me uh, this past year, I went to see my doctor, and um, they said, oh, well, actually, they called me, and they said, your appointment, we're going to have to move your appointment. I go, okay, and they said, well, your doctor's sick. (laughs) My doctor's sick? He's a doctor. (laughs) Do doctors get sick? Who does a doctor go to? Who who does a hairstylist go to cut their hair? I mean, there's all these questions. I remember the first time I saw my geography teacher, Mr. Thompson's, in, in, in Baker's Big Star Grocery Store. And I thought, what are you doing here? And the thought hit me, geography teachers need food. <laughs> they need to eat. And sometimes they leave the classroom and they, go, they venture out. I don't know if it was like uh, at night or... Uh, I thought, it was just, it just, I thought, you're out of context. What are you doing here? And it was just so funny to me that my doctor was sick. I mean, it's not funny. <laughs> well, I got a doctor a year. He can't even stay well. But I thought, I don't know. I thought he could just write himself up. I don't know how that works. But it said, your doc- what if you ever get there and your doctor's sick? Well, doctors are just around contagious people every day of their lives. Think about that. And those of you who are school teachers, you are too. Moms, you are too. Uh, grandparents, you are too. Um, my grandson was kind of sick one day, and he just turns around, and he just kisses me around right the mouth. And so I thought, ah. And so I just kept my lip out, thinking maybe the air, the germs would die before it got in me. I just walk, you know, thinking, ah, now I'm going to get what you got. And we're just so vulnerable. And Paul is saying, kind of, it's like that spiritually, that you're vulnerable And your doctor can get ill and he can suffer the same sickness that the people he's treating in a similar way. Trying to help a friend in sin can be very tempting for you as well. So this sacred selfie, when you, you know, you take it and say, yeah, that's what I always look like. That's the way my hair always does. And yes, I always wear this. And, you know, and you think, 
it, 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 it's a good reflection of you, but is it an honest reflection? And in this day and age of, uh, you know, Instagram filters and Snapchat filters, and sometimes I take pictures of things I see, particularly atmospheric things. I, I love sunsets and sunrises and, and just little things I happen to, to see. And I've kind of made this, this little rule with myself, no filters. I'm not going to use any filters because I like it just the way it is. And so I've taken a lot of photos when I walk, and I've got in my photos, I've got a little folder I've created called The Walking Man. And anything that's really interesting or kind of cool like that, I just drop into that folder, The Walking Man folder. And none of those pictures have a filter on them. You see, because we can get so used to manipulating the reflection that we prefer over the real one. Hey, I dare you to do this. Go home, you know, have a great afternoon, a great night, go to bed, sleep all over the bed, you know, you're just, and you wake up, and this side of your head's really flat, and this side's sticking out, and you don't have any makeup on, and you're, you know, you're drooling right there, and everything. Take a selfie real quick and post that. How did that make you feel? You think, well, heaven, no, I'm not going to do that. Because that's not what we want to project, but you know, because you've seen the mirror, and you know the real you. Paul is saying, it's really valuable if you do that for yourself. Self-examination is an important aspect of the Christian experience. And it will keep you from deceiving yourself and continuing to move until people around you know. They can see. And we just become less and less self-aware. So be real honest because you deceive yourself and we think, well, I'm exempt or I don't need to repent. There's nothing wrong with me or, you know, and we just become blind and dumb to those kind of struggles. Now, Jesus tells us this really interesting thing that kind of brings this to life in in, uh, just, I think, a really great way. In Matthew chapter 7, when he talks about how we evaluate other people's lives, and I I want to read that with you, Matthew 7 uh, let's begin verse 3. And Jesus asked, that, well, no, let's go ahead. You know, I don't, did I put all of it up there? I can just start there. Okay. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me, let me take that speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. Did it ever strike you funny that Jesus calls people names? <laughs> you, just, you teach your children, stop calling your brother names. And you think, well, Jesus did it? He called me. Okay. So Jesus said, you hypocrite. First, take out the log out of your own eye, and then you will be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, hidden within this is not just this absurd picture. You know, I mean, we use sarcasm a lot for humor. Um, Some places just like blatant slapstick. Well, in this day and in this time, this was kind of humorous. And it was kind of this ridiculous picture. It's, It's sort of like, you remember at another place where he said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle... Camel going through all of it. That's just, and then they would all have a little, maybe a little chuckle or go, oh, that's, that's ridiculous. It's the same kind of thing. Jesus is saying, oh, yeah, there's a speck. You ever had a speck in your eye? I got, I got, I got, ah, ah I got something 
I got something. And you do this, and your friend says, yeah, wait, wait, pull. And you, oh, I, I see. Oh, there it is. I see it. I see it. Jesus says, what you've got in your eye is like a beam, a log. And literally, the word means plank. It literally, this doesn't make you as nervous as the teacups, right? <laughs> Last week, those of you here. Okay, so literally, Jesus is saying, you've got a beam in your eye. Okay, this is the only part most of you will remember about this. But he's saying, it's just so crazy for you to be walking around. And you've got this beam stuck in your eye. You're going, oh, wait, you know what? I think you've got a speck in your eye. The word that's used there refers to the largest board that would be in a house. It could be the, the one that supports the whole house or just a big piece of heavy wood. But that's literally what he says. Now, when he says speck, it's a different word, but what it means is the same thing, but smaller. In other words, if a piece of this, a splinter comes off, or a chip, or even just a tiny fragment and blows into your eye, that's the word. Now, the reason I, I kind of make a deal out of that or mention it is because it's not something different. Only the size becomes relevant. So when you try to take something out of somebody else's eye, it's not like, well, I don't struggle with that. I've never had that problem. You know, and you begin to feel self-righteous. And what Jesus is saying is, no, it's the same thing. Your expression, your behavior, out of your woundedness and your shame, whatever it is that fueled what you did, and you think, well, I've never struggled with that. But you've got a different struggle. It's just an outward manifestation of the same thing. Do you get it? That's wood. It's just a big piece of wood and a little tiny piece. It's the same uh, organic material. And Jesus is saying, your transgressions are the same as everybody else's. So, that's good news, bad news. You're no better than anybody else. You're no worse than anybody else. God created you in his image. And he created all these people you're going to see this week in his image. So you can't look down on them, and you don't have to look up to them. That's what he means when he sees that. And, and I think he chose the eye and this whole word picture very purposefully because is there a more sensitive and vulnerable part of the body than the eye? And to remove something from the eye is this delicate, careful process. And we've all had something in our eye, right? And you don't trust just anybody to begin to poke in there and to try to get it out. And you want that person to be able to see clearly what they're doing. That's why I've never had a blind optometrist. <laughs> you, know? have you, you ever had a blind eye? Yeah, uh, thanks for coming in today. <laughs> oh, there's your eye. Yeah, okay. I got it. I think, no, 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 no. I, I want you to be able to see. You need to see before you can work on my vision. 
And that's the picture here. A big board like that blocks our vision. And that's why Jesus used you know, these two different words. And he even said it like this. He said, when you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, the word look at is the word that literally means to glance. You see, you don't look into somebody else's life and at their sin and go, oh my goodness, look at that. Look at, come here and look. And then you talk about it and you share it as a prayer request or, you know, and, and we just, and we just are absorbed. Oh, and we just stare at that. And we, he says, no, 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 don't do that. You glance at it. And you don't create more shame. You don't, you don't continue to, to produce that in the other person's life. You glance at that. But check this out. When he said, look at the, the beam, the board that's in your eye, he used a completely different vocabulary word. The verb there means to look closely, to examine. It's like when you open that book and you're doing Where's Waldo? And you're looking. It's like an Easter egg hunt where you're, you're really trying to find the eggs. Uh, that's, that's a dumb illustration, but I hope you get the idea. He says, no, you're studying it. You're really looking to find the truth about you. And you're just glancing at other people. Most of the time, I think we do the opposite. We glance at ourselves. Oh, yeah, I've got a little, I've got a little problem with that. It's not, not a big deal. I got it. I could quit anytime I want to. Or, yeah, I don't. Yeah, it's not that. And we start making up excuses. And then we really zero in and focus on the other person. Jesus says, you've got it all backwards. You've got it all wrong. All wrong. The way that we deal with that. See, when we get honest about ourselves, with ourselves then he can begin to help us to remove what it is that's blocking our vision and holding us back and keep, uh, keeping us from knowing what our true identity is. If I were to say, did you know that you are the righteousness of God in Christ because that's what the Bible says about you? You'd say, oh, no, I'm not, I'm not that. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And I think, no, you used to be a sinner, but now you're not. Now you're a saint. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. Oh, no. You see, the enemy wants to keep you blind to your real identity. We get that backwards. One way that we can maybe kind of add to this this process of self-examination is to understand how and when and why you deceive yourselves. Maybe it was a defense mechanism. Maybe you started doing it when you were just a little boy. Maybe you're just a young girl and you thought, well, I'm just going to choose to see myself this way or I'm not going to think about that. I'm not going to... And after a while, it just begins to kind of add layer on top of layer and then, and then we're deceived and we think too highly of ourselves or we think too lowly of ourselves. And that's what he's talking about back in Galatians 6 and, and here as well. Because we constantly tend to compare ourselves to those who've made mistakes and those who have failed and those who have gone in the wrong direction or, and that gives us a great confidence boost. You know, and you can just kind of look over at that person and go, huh, at least I'm not like that. Or it works the other way. 
this effect kicks in sometimes I think when we look online and I'm just going to I'm just I'm not going to spend just a moment here but um you know just you just scroll through those of you on social media you just look at Facebook or Instagram and you think man everybody's got a better life than me <laughs> look at that they ate that you know you take pictures of your food to show everybody I just want you to see what I ate <laughs> all right thanks I just want to take a picture of a Chick-fil-A sack and go, whoa, look at that, you know. Yeah, I got it free because I got a coupon, you know. Uh, it's not very, people go, how boring is Dan's life? Here I am walking my dog, <laughs> and, and you're out in some exotic location and going, hey, just another day in my life, you know. And if you're, if you're not careful, you know, you just look at all of that and you start comparing yourself thinking, Wow, their life is so great, and their vacations are so cool, and look at that hike, and oh, their kids are so cute. <laughs> My kids should put that down, you know, and you just think, <sighs> that's just really, you start measuring yourself against each other, and you get really depressed really fast. You see, we've bought into this false kind of social contract, you know, of projecting our idealized selves, rather than confessing our greatest aches and pains. And here's what I found, because I've been hanging around church for a while. Communities that are built around peak experiences are going to be in trouble as soon as that first valley comes. Communities that are built around vulnerability and love and grace are incredibly strong and last for a long time. Bearing one another's burdens... And so we fulfill the law of Christ. And after a while, it just becomes impossible if we yield to the self-centeredness of our own flesh or our lingering sin to be able to minister to other people. We judge ourselves falsely and we judge other people falsely. And he says, why are you even doing that? You're not even the judge. That's not even your job. It's not even who we are. So we get honest about ourselves with ourselves and we look at that closely and then we just glance at the other person. We look at our own slips and issues and falls and flaws. The one way we can do this is to understand why and when we deceive ourselves and you may need some help with that. It depends on how good you've gotten at, at lying to yourself or playing that game or pretending, oh, no, I don't have a problem with that. And everybody around you goes, you have a problem with that, you know. So you may need some help. You may need to let some other people go, yeah, do I have permission to speak into your life? And when we do that, something beautiful uh, begins to emerge and begins to happen in us. And that's what I hope would begin to take place in, in me and in you as well. That'll go a long way in curing your self-doubt and all of that, that junk that you bring to the table and how you feel about yourself when you're not projecting you know, your best self and taking those kind of selfies. When we understand the new person that we've become, and that this evaluation of ourselves and other people is, is only against Scripture and not each other. Otherwise, you'll always think too high or too low. 
and you'll either become very doubtful and even depressed or you'll become self-absorbed and self-righteous. Right judgment reminds us that we, we always fall short and we're not holier than thou. I really believe that when we get this, when we learn in our hearts, when you figure out who you are in Christ, when you stop judging and start loving, our ministry, your ministry, my ministry, our ministry in this community and the other places in the world that we try to touch, our ministry with one another in this body, our community groups, our relationships, and the difference we make is going to explode in lots of directions, in beautiful ways, and it may be kind of messy, and it may be kind of exciting, and it may be kind of expensive, but we will make a difference in this generation. I really believe that. Because that's what Jesus does. That's what grace does. That's what love does. So here's our application, and I'll, I'll put it in the form of a question Are you ready? To have the beam, the board in your eye removed? Are you ready to get this out of the way? Because when you do, you're going to be able to see so clearly. Some of you have had cataracts removed or you've had corrective lenses. I remember the first time I ever put on a pair of glasses, I was in like the sixth grade and I didn't even know I couldn't see. <laughs> I wasn't even aware of it because I had no point of reference. You just think, well, this is the way everybody sees. And I walked out of Dr. Feinbaum's office in the Northgate Shopping Center in Memphis and I put on these glasses. <laughs> they were awful. But I put them on, and I was amazed. There was a McDonald's across the parking lot, and I could see it so crisp and clear. And there were these trees, and I could see the leaves on the trees. It had always just been this blurry, impressionistic kind of a, a painting of, of green. Listen, when you allow Jesus to begin to gently remove that beam from your eye, you're going to see things. You've never seen before, clearly and accurately. And then you'll be ready and equipped to go, hey, brother, hey, sister, listen, take it from me. I've had a beam in my eye. You've got a speck. I'd like to come alongside you. And I'd like to love you and equip you and mend you. I'd like to be a part of your healing. If you'd allow me to, let's get that speck out. But until you take care of the beam, 
You're not ready for that. So let's stop judging. And let's start restoring. Let's stop evaluating and comparing and to begin to repair and mend the lives around us. Are you ready for that? Are you ready to allow the Holy Spirit to begin with you right now, today? In Jesus' name. Let's stand. Let's sing.